Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, friends. Welcome to the I Don't Get It podcast. This is Naz. This is Ashley. And Lauren. And I'm super excited about today's episode because we are going to talk about EMDR, which it sounds like a variety of music. It sounds like EDM. It sounds like like EDM. It does. That's so true. It it does. Okay, so you guys know I'm I'm so sort of I love like self introspection and self journey and like becoming my best self. And I've been doing talk therapy for years. And I came across a woman who told me about EMDR because I would tell her how I would have anxiety and fears. You guys know about, you know, whether it was going on camera, being live on a red carpet, being on a date with a guy. Um, and I really was just so fascinated and confused by how our mind can know one thing, but how our body feels differently. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, I know I'm cool. I know I'm I know I'm great, I know I'm worthy, but why don't I feel that way when I'm like in the presence of a guy I have a crush on? Like what what is the disconnect between like what my brain knows and what my body's actually feeling? And so I think through years of talk therapy, you I sort of figured out, you know, oh, it's cause this happened with my mom, you know, when I was little or whatever. But what I was so sort of annoyed about is that I'm like, well, I, this still keeps happening. And I know it'll always happen basically till the day we die. Mm. But um, I came across this woman that told me about EMDR. And she was like, so EMDR basically gets to the root of the issue. Uh, this is how she described it. So um, she, it gets to the root of the issue and it change your, changes your neurological pathways. So you're not just talking about it with someone. You're actually changing your brain in each set, it's called a set. Therefore, in my eyes, getting to the root of the issue sort of quicker. I like that. So I was like, so I was like, oh my God, this is fascinating. How does it work? Mm-hmm. And they were like, it works by bilateral movement. So either moving your eyes back and forth or like mm-hmm. what I do is I tap my thighs. And I was like, what? That's so weird. And I was like, why does that work? And she was like, no one knows. Oh. <laughs> I was like, this is fucking crazy. And they're like, yeah. So basically, for example, people with bigger, t- I call it big T's, like big traumas. Let's say someone is going through PTSD through war or like they've, maybe they've been raped. They sort of go into EMDR and their brain can either rewrite the memory So maybe you have tea with the person that abused you or you picture a dragon eating them because a lot of our fears are based on like past memories. So that's essentially my sort of understanding of EMDR. I've been doing it since I think February. So I'm like three, four months in now and I'm really loving it. And I think it's actually really working, which is weird because I don't, you know, I'm not like cured and I'm not like looking to be cured, but I think my anxiety and fears are actually really changing. So I was like, I really want to do a podcast on this. 
So we are joined today by an EMDR practitioner, Erica Curtis. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist. She's a board certified art therapist, which I don't know what that is. I'm so curious. And she's an EMDR practitioner. She's been practicing therapy and teaching psychotherapeutic techniques techniques for 20 years. And she actually specializes in the use of EMDR and has specialized in it for the past 10 years. So Erica, hello, hello. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Um, so first, can you just tell us what EMDR stands for, what your actual definition of what it is, and why you sort of got into it? Let's start yeah. there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Naz, you did a great explanation, I think. of <laughs> it. It's not an easy thing to understand or explain. So EMDR, we'll start with the acronym, which is Eye Movement Desensitization and oh, Reprocessing. That is not what I thought it was going to stand for. That is a mouthful. Wow. And funny enough, Dr. Francine Shapiro, who is the originator of EMDR, I've seen her speak several times, and she says she wishes she would have named it something different. <laughs> really? <laughs> okay. That's yeah. funny. Yeah, so the eye movement, as you already said, eye movement, because originally when this therapy was developed, it was with the use of eye movements back and forth. And the reason it even started like that was in the late 1980s, it was like 87, Francine Shapiro was walking through a park and she was dealing some with pretty distressing stuff going on in her own life. And all of a sudden, her eyes just started spontaneously moving back and forth, back and forth. Mm-hmm. And she was like, wait a minute, I feel better. <laughs> like, what oh, was really? that? So weird. And so then she thought, well, I wonder what will happen if I do it on purpose. So then she started doing it on purpose. And then she started doing it with friends and family. And then she started researching it. And then she found all these cross-cultural references, like shamans, like waving sticks in front of people's eyes to get their eyes to move back and forth to release, you know, uh, incurable diseases or demons or whatever. And, you know, like all over, like across time and history and different cultures. And she said, okay, this is something. Let's take a look at it. And so then she started researching it. Um, And what she discovered was that the eye movement back and forth very much mimics or activates the same parts of the brain that are active during REM sleep. I was going to ask about that. Yeah. Rapid eye movement sleep. Yeah. Um, Mm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I feel like when I'm in REM, I'm having the most traumatic dreams of all time. Yeah. Wait, we're, I know we had a dream podcast, but do you have most vivid dreams in REM or in the other deep sleep? Right. So when we're in REM, what's happening is that our brain is really quickly processing information. So if you think about it like this, just like our digestive system needs to extract the nutrients from what we're eating, right? It takes the proteins, the vitamins, the minerals, the fats, right? Whatever our body needs. And then it eliminates everything else, right? We poop it out basically, or pee it out, right? We get rid of it. Our body knows how to do that. So our brain does the same thing. It takes out the nutrients from our experiences during the day and not just like what you ate for breakfast, but like that guy cut me off or Mm -hmm. my boyfriend dumped me or I had a rough day at work or so it's emotional um, material that we're, we're consuming all day right? And then when we're in REM sleep, what's happening is the brain is processing that and saying, 
okay, I need that. I don't need that. We'll eliminate that. I'll store this. I'll take care of that for you. And we start to convert this information into usable long-term kind of memory, right? And so we have memories like what I remember, like this happened, but we also have meaning memory. And that's what your brain is doing during REM sleep. So and that's wild. the same thing that seems to happen so during EMDR. in real life, I mean, not in real life, when we're doing this therapy, we're like making our si- ourselves digest this traumatic information that we've gone through, but you're exactly. selecting what you're thinking about. Exactly. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So exactly. Erica, how did you go? So how did Francine sort of discover this? And then why did you decide to get into it as a therapist of other things? Why did you decide to specialize in EMDR? And can you walk us through examples of people you've treated and what they've come to you for and how EMDR really works like when you're doing it, like how the sets work, everything? Yeah. So it's interesting because I actually came across EMDR very early in my career, like the early 2000s. And I was at a cutting edge in psychotherapy conference. And I remember seeing a speaker talk about it. And, you know, growing up, I was always told if it's too good to be true, it probably is. Like be skeptical. So I remember hearing this guy talk about EMDR and being like, "Mm, too good to be true. And then I just kind of like tossed it aside. And then years later, it kind of popped up on my radar again. I started seeing articles about it and I was like, hmm. And then just kind of like put it away again in terms of like too good to be true. And then I saw Dr. Francine Shapiro speak at a conference at UCLA and she showed a video of a woman who was treated with EMDR. And I thought, my goodness, if this is as effective as they're saying it is, it is unethical if I don't learn how to use this. Right. And so then what I did is I went to an EMDR therapist and, you know, as much as I believe in therapy, obviously, and love therapy, there's a lot of stuff out there that's kind of like people are like, oh, do this, this works, or this will cure you in one session or whatever. And it's like, like, not really. So I'm pretty skeptical when it comes to taking on new approaches. So I went to this EMDR therapist and I sat sat on her couch and I was kind of like, I mean, I was nice about it, but I was like, show me what you got. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, prove this to me. Bring it on, right? I was like, convince me. And I was like, after one session, I mean, I saw her for probably like three or four months over the summer. And I, like, my jaw was like on the floor. I was like, oh my gosh. Like, I cannot believe this. So I went, I did the training, did the supervision and started using it in my practice. And I've been using it ever since. So what I'm thinking of is like, you're sitting on the couch and you're you're making your eyes go back and forth. And I know that sounds like, um, I'm not dumbing it down, but like your eyes going back and forth. I would be like, is that, this going to give me a permanent vision damage? That's a, that's my hypochondriac yeah, that brain is your hypochondriac. talking. Lauren's always afraid that her eyes are going to like stay in one place. Well, oh, I love that you brought news. that out because I could never yeah. do that. And I told my MDR therapist, but it's any, they figured out that it's any bilateral movement. So oh. the average person, if you watch like Megan, I think Harry, what's his name? Harry, the Royal uh, Prince Harry. Harry? Prince Harry. Prince Harry, yeah. but why do we know his last name? <laughs> we don't really like, ever know their last name, but their last name is Wales. No, it's not. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so Prince Harry sat down with Oprah. No, it's not. It's not Wales. It's That's like where they're from. They're from Wales. Their last name is something I think else. Their last name is from where, where they're from. 
Oh my God, Fitzharry's last one. It's not Edinburgh. Yeah, so um, so this weekend, my friend Christina was visiting, and we went to Montecito, which is like the basically the neighborhood right before Santa Barbara. Mm-hmm. And we looked up Meghan Markle and Harry's address as we did Oprah's. And we went both to both of their houses, but obviously just saw the gate outside because we're losers. But I would hope um, you didn't get in. No, of course not. We did see like a gardener outside Harry and Meghan's house. And you can't even see it because there's so much shrubbery, but it looks, there's part of it that looks like a castle. And so obviously I thought of you, Ashley, and I thought of Rothy's. <laughs> it's like the, your version of a, of a glass slipper for a princess. Well, I mean, yeah, I was looking for any Rothy's left outside the gate. Yeah. For anyone who is not understanding the reference, it's because Meghan Markle is a big fan of Rothy's, as am I. They are the perfect shoes for basically everything. And they're, I know it's like you can wear Rothy's during any season, but I do feel like summer season is prime Rothy's time. They've got chic pointed toe flats they got sneakers lauren likes the sneakers Mm. they've got the round toe flats they've got like slippers how many like they have so many varieties when we first started talking about rothy's it was just like one type of shoe right and now they have so many designs so many colors they're always coming out with new ones the reason that i love it the very most like the number one reason for me is that they're the only flats that haven't cut up the back of my ankle also, I can throw them in the wash. If I get any anything on them, I throw them in the wash. They're brand new. And then now sustainability. Now let's talk about that. Oh, my God. I love the fact that buying these shoes just, like, makes the earth a better place. So they take sustainability to the next level. All their products are knit with thread made from plastic water bottles. So they've actually repurposed around 125 million water bottles so far, which to me is just so insane. So, my friends... Your new favorite shoes are waiting for you. Discover all the versatile styles that you can wear absolutely anywhere. And guess what? Get $20 off your first purchase at rothys.com slash get it. That's R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash get it for $20 off your first order. Anyways, so Prince Harry was going like this, Lauren, uh-huh. so tapping like my right and left shoulder. Windsor. And I tried... It's named after the Windsor. castle. Okay. Yes. Continue. So I tried doing that in my session, but I also found this distracting. Mm-hmm. And so then we, me and my therapist landed on me tapping my thighs. Okay. Which I think is really calming and I love it with my eyes closed. Mm-hmm. So Erica, can you walk through how a set works? Because I know uh-huh. that also, just so people know, most therapists, you can't just jump into doing EMDR, You're first, and which is kind of annoying. So you have to pay an EMDR therapist. And for three sessions separately, you basically have to talk to them about everything. Yeah. Because what's really cool about EMDR is you actually don't have to talk as much in an actual set. So Erica, can you kind of explain the first couple sessions and how like it works if someone were to take on an EMDR therapist like today? Right. Absolutely. So, and just to kind of piggyback real quick, what's interesting to me is not everybody, but when you do the tapping, like the bilateral tapping on the thighs, or we also have these little, we call like pulsers or theratappers that people can hold in their hands and they vibrate back and forth, right, left, right, left, right, left. Is I often notice people's eyes are going back and forth. Their eyes are closed while they're tapping or holding the pulsers. And if I watch their eyes really carefully, their eyes actually go back and forth. Whoa, I didn't know that. I wonder That's if mine do that. Time. Now Probably. you're going to be distracted now. now you're gonna I know. Be now I'm going to be like, are my eyes going back and forth? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So in the beginning, we, we, the idea is sort of like we can't 
contain the flow of information, emotional information, until we have a container. And so a lot of the upfront work is creating that container, right? Mm -hmm. So that we're developing safety with our clients and that the people who are coming into therapy can also trust themselves to be able to contain the, the flow of the information, the flow of the emotion and whatever might come. And so in the beginning, not only do we do some history taking, if I'll say, if there's a history to take, Sometimes people come in and they don't know what their target memory is. So in a very traditional classic use of EMDR, we identify what we would call the TM or the target memory. We focus on that once we're in the reprocessing stage. And then we bring up the the negative belief that goes with it, the emotion that goes with it, how it feels in our body. We hold all of that. And then we start these sets of bilateral, either tapping or eye movement, right? Which I'll come back to in a moment. In order to do that though, we need to be able to, within our own minds and bodies, feel safe to hold a discomfort, right? Sometimes people come in and they don't know what they're targeting and they might even have amnesia about certain times in their lives, right? They might've sort of like blocked it out. So we can target time periods also, right? So sometimes people will come in and say, I don't know, like I remember this, I've been told that, but I don't really have a lot of history. But as long as the per that I consciously remember, right? But as long as the person can demonstrate that, okay, like I have resources I can think about, for example, and we spend usually a session on that, thinking about somebody um, real or imagined, present or past that we feel comfortable with, that we feel safe around, that we feel cared for by. And if we can think of those individuals, they can be animals, they can be yeah, spiritual, yeah. They can be, it can be Gandalf the Great. I mean, it doesn't matter who <laughs> it is, as long as that individual can access that feeling of being okay. Yeah. So we spend time then on creating that sort of internal network of how do we access those okay feelings? Because then we actually use those when we start doing the reprocessing. Like if you you start regressing or thinking about the traumatic things, you want to be able to have a safe space? Sometimes, yes. And sometimes we integrate them. Okay. So sometimes we use those safe people, safe animals, safe places to say, you know what, let's just come back for a minute, right? And then we're going to go back into it. And sometimes we'll go back and forth, right? If it's not tolerable for the person to just look at the memory. Because when we start reprocessing, I don't know what your experience now is, but sometimes I know on the visual process, I see images, image, 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 image. Yeah. Yeah. Which was interesting because we just did a podcast, Erica, with um, people who sort of deal with things that are rare, like mm-hmm. when it comes to health. And um, someone told us that they don't see images, like yes. when people Aphasia. picture things. So I, I immediately thought, oh my God, would this person ever be able to do MDR? I don't think so. Yes, they can. I've actually oh, wow. worked with three different individuals with amphantasia. Oh, that's amazing. That makes me happy. Yes. So, yeah. So when yes. I. So I go for anxiety when I, when we tap into sort of a memory and we'll do like a recent thing, maybe something that happened yesterday or the day before. And then sometimes I have the worst memory, by the way. So I very much hated EMDR in the beginning because I was like, I can't remember anything from my childhood. I'm so bad at remembering things, Mm -hmm. but your brain just sometimes comes up with it. Like once you calm it down and like one time... I was having the happiest, most random day. And then I did an EMDR session and I remembered when my dog was going to die 
when I was in college and I spent all my loan money like driving home to like get the surgery to like save my dog and like my dog died anyway and I felt like so alone. I was with my brother, my parents, like I'm like crying about it. Oh my god, you, <laughs> and I was never like, heard oh my this god, story. I'm like, you never talk about this we, dog. I don't think we even yeah. knew you had a dog. I did know she had a I, dog, but I was like she never I brought had, her up. That's so funny. I had two dogs. And so my parents like didn't want to pay the money for the surgery. My dog ended up dying anyway. So I spent all this money from my college loan. And like, I was like crying and I was like, wow, I had no idea that this like lived inside of me. This was like a trauma I never thought about. Like you guys didn't even know. I never think about, maybe my mind completely blocked it out. But the point is, is that when I'm closing my eyes and I'm tapping my thighs like back and forth, what my brain does is just random things come up. Just random. And then after my therapist says, okay, what did you see? Or what she says, what did you notice? Mm -hmm. And I'll just randomly be like, well, I noticed that I was like with that friend. And then I know it's so weird. It's like your brain just does stuff. And I guess it's kind of like what it's doing in REM. And you just share with your therapist what it did. And then your therapist takes that and goes from there and says, okay, let's latch on to that. Now close your eyes and think about that. And then I'll just do that sort of three or four times within the hour. And it's just so fucking weird. I don't know why. (laughs) How does it work? Now, is it good for us to regurgitate these things? Should they lay dormant? No. No, because you're rewriting, you're reprocessing, and technically you're getting rid of it. Right, Erica? Yeah, it's a good question, Lauren, because I think what... what, What's important to understand is that all of us as human beings, whether we've had those big T traumas or little T traumas, which really we can just rename like bad stuff happens in life, right? Like we've all gone through stuff. And what happens is that our mind and our body going back to that, like nutrients, it thinks it needs it. It wants to hold on to it. It's like when we store extra fat, like that we don't actually want to store. And we're like, oh, like, why am I storing this extra information? Well, because somewhere in our mind and our body, we think we need it to protect us. Mm, And so something like that happens. And then the brain says, you know what? I'm going to hold on to these feelings, these sensations, so that anytime something vaguely similar seems kind of like this, I'm just going to flood you with these negative beliefs and these feelings and these responses in your body so that you can get the heck out of there or fight or numb out if you need to. You know what comes to my mind is like, a, I don't, I'm not going to call this a big T or little T, but I have a lot of people in my life that have a fear of flying. And I'm like, man, you could really just get to the root of this in EMDR and like just could fly you? happily and fine. Flying seems like a fear that just like, logic tells you I could fall from the sky. Like, can you really get over a fear that seems so logical? Yes. <laughs> I've actually worked with several people with a fear of flying. And, you know, one of the things that we think about in EMDR is some, well, there's sort of like a, a commonly held um, like belief or, or acknowledgement about anxiety that anxiety sound very logical. Mm-hmm. Right. And all so, anxiety sounds logical. It sounds very to your brain logical. because it's based on like a past memory or fear or something you read where you're like, this is going to happen to me. Yes. And anxiety is really good at telling us like, but it could, but it could. Right. And so it'll really dig its heels in. And so we're like, oh, that's true. It could. Right. And then we start thinking that it's like, oh, that makes sense. And then we start to avoid it. So the question, you know, that I'll ask people first is like, well, does it limit your life? If you don't care and you never want to fly again, like, 
it's not a big deal. But if you're not able to go and like visit people or travel places that you want to, then that's maybe something we want to work yeah. on. And I'm, oftentimes there is a past memory that it's related to, or some general sense of not being in control or a fear of not being safe that sometimes has nothing to do with flying. But once we resolve that, suddenly they're not afraid of flying true. anymore. Yeah. And that a perfect, a real quick, perfect example of that is when I went, I was like, okay, so I have this career stuff I want to like, I want to nip in the butt. And then I have like this romantic sort of boy stuff I want to nip in the butt. And I'm very like, I'm so, I'm like, all right, which one are we going to work on first? And she's like, well, if we make you confident in this area, it's going to actually just, you're just going to be fine in every area of your life. And so just like you were saying, so, like going to EMDR for something else could completely cure your sort of fear of flying or whatever it is. Right. You guys know, we all know how annoying it is when you buy a piece of jewelry and you think it's good quality, but then it returns your finger green. Mm-hmm. Well, two girls. The yeah, the worst. Two girls that founded this jewelry company called Orate. It actually started over a brunch conversation about this exact thing. They were just tired of spending money in the traditional jewelry market for a ring that would turn their finger green. So they started Orate. It, they wanted to shake things up by offering modern women beautiful designs, amazing quality at affordable price, and they wanted their jewelry to be ethically sourced so that and that people could wear it every day and feel beautiful and know in their heart that you know it came from a good place i just like can't thank them enough for doing this because i'm just you know it's like we need people like this that are going to brunch and they're like well i'm gonna do something about (laughs) this because why is beautiful jewelry so expensive it's so annoying and so their desire to shake up the jewelry market really is just changing lives or rate is So groundbreaking because their pieces range from staples to statements. They all begin as sketches by their co-founder and designer. And what I love is that the designs are actually drawn from a lot of muses across New York City. And they're inspired by the city's never-ending movement and contagious energy. You can tell that, like, it's your typical New York City girl, like, cool girl Mm -hmm. jewelry. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. And, And they're looking to set the standard for women because we deserve the best. And they're basically always reminding us to set the gold bar high. And Orate has also teamed up with Accrue Savings so that you can enjoy the option of saving up for your dream jewelry. So Accrue is a credit-less way to save or buy. You just choose a product, open your Accrue Savings account, and make your first deposit. Um, And start saving for your Orate purchase with Accrue now. Plus, you'll earn 10% in rewards towards your purchase as you save. So for 20% off your first Orate purchase, go to oratenewyork.com slash IDGI and use the promo code IDGI. That's 20% off with no minimum spend and they rarely have discounts as high as 20% off. So I really encourage you to shop now while it's going on and this is the best offer out there and it's exclusively for our listeners. So once again, go to oratenewyork.com slash IDGI and again, that's spelled A U. R-A-T-E, newyork.com slash I-D-G-I. So can you explain what happens to your brain when you're in the set and like what, what's yeah. going on actually? Yeah. So they've done a lot of brain scans. They've done a lot of, and again, sort of like the person told you now is like, we don't exactly know. But the truth of the matter is, is we also don't exactly know like how medication works. <laughs> like there's a lot of things that we think like, oh, they've nailed it. They know how that works. And we're like, eh. Like, 
they have hypotheses. Mm -hmm. We see things happening, right? Like, for example, they see less brain activity in the feeling and survival parts of our brain, Mm -hmm. right? So Mm -hmm. after EMDR, we see less activity in like the limbic system and the amygdala, which is like the emotional processing part of the brain, right? Mm -hmm. We see more activity in the cortical regions, which is the thinking part of the brain, right? We also see um, more activity in the interior cingulate, which is a part of the brain that also has to do with appraising threat. So like deciding what's threatening and what's not threatening, right? And so we see that getting active and then we see it kind of like simmering down a little bit, right? And so we they've done studies to look at, does the eye movement really matter or does the tapping really matter? Because there's a lot of other things happening in EMDR. There's like mindfulness happening. Like when we say, notice that, go with that. Just keep going, like observe whatever is arising without having to change it or controlling and just go with that Mm -hmm. and just keep observing. That's mindfulness, right? And there's a whole, I mean, it's a whole nother conversation, but there's a lot of research just around that practice. So they've done the sort of EMDR protocol with and without the eye movements and they found, yes, the eye movements matter. And it seems to be because it's lighting up these different parts of the brain and they see the regions that are responsible for memories, like things that we remember being converted into regions of the brain that are responsible for somatic memory. And somatic is more like concepts, right? And more associated with long-term memory. So they can see these different regions light up and say like, okay, well, this is how we can now guess that this is what's happening. We're converting this information into long-term storage. I guess, um, I'm guessing that a lot of people out there who are kind of newbies to the um, psycho psychotherapy world would probably be wondering, how is this any different than hypnotherapy? Yes, that's a common question. Like people will just say like, so am I under? Like, am yeah. I, are you hypnotizing me? You know, especially like with the you eye You will go to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Totally, like watch <laughs> yeah. right? And, and it's not hypnosis. I honest, I'm not trained in hypnosis, so I can't really speak to the difference except for I know that EMDR is not, I don't know how to hypnotize you. That's what I tell people. I'm like, I couldn't, I wish I could, like that would be a cool party trick, right? Like yeah. it'd be a great skill to have, but it's not hypnosis. They're not um, being put, the mind is not being put in a state that will then be influenced by my words, right? Which is essentially what hypnosis okay, is. Yeah, it's, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Like when you're in hypnosis, I'm putting you in a state of mind or state of being so that I can influence you and you're receptive to my influence, right? Whereas EMDR, you're fully awake, you're fully conscious, oh, you know, okay. I can say something and the person, and I will invite my clients. I'm like, look, if I say something and I'm barking up the wrong tree or you disagree with something, like, just tell me, right? And so they're fully alert. If I said fuck like a chicken, they'd look mm-hmm. at me and be like, no. Yeah, no, it's a regular <laughs> therapy session, but like okay, we, so- we do like a couple minute sets with your eyes closed okay. and then you come out of it and then you talk about it and then you'll do another one. And maybe I'll get in like three within the hour, maybe more. It depends. Okay. So my thought was that you were kind of under because your eyes oh, are no. going like that, you know? No, you're just like, it's just like this. It's just actual therapy, but instead you're closing your eyes and doing a bilateral movement. Like, so, but you yeah. start with a memory 
to sort of tap into it. And then you see what your brain's like picking up. Erica, do you have a, can you give us like um, one to three examples of people you've treated and why they came to you and if it helped? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll actually start with an example from my own life and my own experience, which was a bike accident when I was a kid and I was riding a bicycle and I fell over the handlebars. Mm. Um, and, And I didn't even realize that this was something that was left in my nervous system, so to speak. But I did notice as an adult, like anytime my eyes would be like puffy or like break out or like I have three kids, like if they'd be coming at me in my face, I'd be like, <gasps> like I'd feel this like panicky feeling. And then, and I never even realized that wasn't normal until one day I had like puffy eyes. And I was like showing my husband and I was like, do you think that like, do you think I should go in like, go get this checked? Like, should I go to the dermatologist or maybe the eye doctor? And he was like, no, he's like, I'd give it 24 hours. I'm like, okay, but you think it's okay. Do you think it's okay? And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, that's not normal. Is it? And he's like, no, it's to not have puffy, <laughs> to have puffy eyes after you're panicking. No, not normal to have such a big reaction. Oh, okay, okay. Like I was overreacting. And I always tell people, if your emotional response seems out of proportion Mm -hmm. to what's actually happening, it's likely because there's something in your past that this reminds you of. Totally. Right. And And that's like how I would feel, whether it was like going live or like like things just felt like like it was like a debilitating anxiety. Right. Yeah. So when I went to EMDR, yeah, Ashley, this may seem like a silly question, but do you guys believe more in past lives after going and talking to people through MDR? Like do people in general or do Yeah, therapy? because like maybe they can't ever pinpoint their the moment in their past. Like perhaps it could be like a past life. I mean, I mean, you think there's a whole other podcast, dude. Well, <laughs> well, I believe that and I could talk about that at nauseum. I believe wow. we come here with traumas from like past lives. But again, that's a whole different belief system and isn't linked to EMDR okay. necessarily. It's not directly linked. However, there is some very interesting work. I mean, just from a very like straightforward perspective that we believe that however it almost doesn't matter what happened it's how we hold the information inside of us right right and so erica real quick not to cut you off but that was when i decided to go from talk therapy to emdr because i was like i love talk therapy i think it's a great intro especially if you've never done therapy i highly recommend talk therapy but that was very much why i felt this way but i was like okay now i just now I know, but now can we just like rid of this? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah. So in terms of like past lives, I mean, I there is what's called an early trauma protocol. And there are people who have had trauma when they're in utero, for example. And a lot of EMDR therapists believe, and I do, that our nervous system, at the very least, our nervous system holds that information right? That even if we don't have a conscious memory, that whatever has happened to us, and for some people, like Naz was saying, we can float back, you know, to conception, we can float back to preconception. And we can go into that space. My my brow is furring again. We can go back (laughs) to conception? (laughs) Isn't that? And for some, yeah, go ahead. You're saying that we can go back to being in the womb. So some people will say, that makes no sense to me. I don't get it. I was an egg and a See, sperm. I don't and get I don't... it. That's the, this is the right podcast for this question. Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. 
And other people, you know, and we'll just check that out though. Well, does that, is that a neutral sense? Is it a pleasant sense? So it's more, it's not a memory. It's a sense. Okay. Like, I, well, I, I think the best way I can describe this is like generational trauma. Exactly. I don't know if you agree, Erica, but I have a lot of generational trauma or like my family, like my past family, especially my mom, like had no money. They have so, such a lack of abundance holding on to everything where I think I just inherited that. Okay. Where I'm like, oh my God, I have to work so hard to make money. And I, I like, I literally was like sort of socialized, but I also think born with all these beliefs from all my ancestors where I like had to break it and be like, no, that's like not true. Mm-hmm. Like that's mm. not real for me. So I don't know if you, that's how I think of it. Right. I mean, usually my cue is if somebody says, when I say, well, how long have you felt like this? And they say forever. Mm-hmm. And I go mm-hmm. like when you were six, five, four, three. And if they go, oh, well, no, like when I was nine, then we stop there. But yeah. if they go, no, forever. And I'm like, what about when you were a baby? And they go, yeah, probably. And I go, okay, now we're going to go back a little bit further because they have grown up with a felt sense of, I was never loved. From before I was conceived, I know my parents didn't want me, right? And so sometimes we want to take people way back to that time. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a spiritual journey. For some people it is, if they have that belief system. And for some people it's not. For some people it's just, yeah, I know that I was never wanted, right? And so then we do, when we can go back and do, like Naz is talking about, even intergenerational healing. Sometimes we need to go back and imagine having different parents. Mm. Like I've had people, for example, imagine being raised by animals, like in a positive, healthy way. Like, Oh, I want to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like going back to our resources, like some people have had such distressing experiences with humans that the only safe entities around them feel like, you know, dogs or horses or birds, Um, And so if they can get that really early sense of being taken care of and loved um, as a baby, then we start to see a lot more compassion coming in. And then we can start doing some of those other pieces of work. That is fascinating. I had no idea. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. 
Can we go back to your examples? Because you didn't necessarily finish your... You said, I'm going to yeah. start with me, and you told us a poofy yeah. eye, and I'd love to hear your story and the other examples. Right. So so for me, I realized, because my emotional response was out of sync with what was actually happening. Like, everybody has puffy eyes sometimes. I was freaking out about it. Like, that's not normal, Right. And so then I did my own, what we call float back. I did my own float back, which was, like I said, what's the thought? And the thought is there must be something really wrong. That was the thought I was having when I looked at my and saw something kind of off. The feeling was anxiety. I could feel it in my chest, right? And then we just let the mind go back in time. And what was interesting was it wasn't actually me falling off my bike that was traumatic. It was when I was in the doctor's office my mind went zoom right back to this moment. I could see all the people in the waiting room looking at me because I had split my face open. I had to get a lot of stitches. and But that was the moment that I saw the looks of horror on their face. Yeah. And my mind thought there must be something really wrong with me. Yeah. And so my brain went, oh, something's really wrong with your face, right? This is related to your face. I'm going to flood you with adrenaline and anxiety. And now anytime in the future, anything is wrong with your face, I'm going to flood you with the same feelings and thought. Oh, wow. So right? you're waiting there for your husband be- to have the same reaction as the people in the waiting room, basically, when your eyes are puffy currently. Right. Yeah. You, you expect that kind of like, there's something wrong with me, right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. So through EMDR, what happened is right now, as was describing, you do a set. So you pull all that up, the looks of the people on the faces, you know, the, the looks of the people sitting in the waiting room, the feeling of anxiety, the belief there's something really wrong with me. And then what happens is the therapist says, notice that now go with it. And then you do a set of like, and when we say a set, it's like, 20, 26, back and forth, eye movements or taps, one, two, three, four, five, six, right, to give you an idea. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a pretty short amount of time. And then they pause and they say, what did you notice? Go with that, because the, the image starts to change. And so what happened after several sets is I started noticing, instead of focusing on the people's faces, I started noticing my father holding me. And that was a very positive So the brain wants to move towards resilience. It wants to move towards healing. Just like if we get a cut, our body will heal itself, right? So we just have to kind of get the train moving and the mind will want to gravitate towards the things that are pleasant, positive, life affirming. That's so funny because that that just reminded me of, I think one time I was doing EMDR because I was like waiting on it to hear from like this guy and... I was telling her how I get very, you know how sometimes you get very like checking your phone and you're like, if I could just hear from this person, I'll feel relief. And you're right. Your brain, what's so cool about EMDR is it it wants to feel better. And it also just knows that you don't need any of this stuff. It like inner knows. So when I was closing my eyes and thinking of stuff and my therapist asked me, what did you notice? I was like, oh, I noticed that I like could put my phone away and just I was like having a happy day. I like just went about my day fine. (laughs) It's just so weird. And she was like, yeah, go with that. And so then we went with that. (laughs) that. And it's just like so it's just fascinating to me. Yes. What are some? Yeah, I was just going to say when we hit on a positive or a pleasant feeling or 
belief, when we go with that, then the mind amplifies it. And so then we start to develop that feeling of I'm okay. And then we find that positive, what we call positive cognition or a positive belief about the self, which is for now, I can put my phone away. I'm okay. Right. And so now she has a whole new belief about that situation that she can leave, you know, the session with. So do you pick, um, do you pick like your um, happy place or does that happy place come like, is her happy place putting her phone away? No, your so, brain just comes up with okay, it. Okay, okay. Yeah. I just didn't know if you went in there being like, oh, my dad's my safe place. And then you think no, of your dad. No, no, you just you come literally up with, go in with the okay, memory. Okay. And then yeah. all this stuff comes up and you're like, what the fuck? Okay, I just <laughs> want to know now it's like what yours was, but you j- literally answered it right before I asked. Yeah. yeah. So I say both actually, because in the beginning you do ask like around who or where, what place do you feel most comfortable? Because we might, if sometimes it gets stuck, like this is if it's processing smoothly, but sometimes it's like nothing's happening, nothing's changing, nothing's moving. And so then as a therapist, we start to sort of fiddle around in there and say, okay, can we bring in your dog, you know, and have your dog, imagine your dog is with you looking at this memory. Oh, okay. Now I feel a little bit more comfortable. (laughs) And so now we're bringing in that sense of safety. So now I can look at the memory and then all of a sudden the memory starts moving. Mm -hmm. Right. And now the brain is allowed to start is allowing itself to process. So it's a little bit of both, but like Naz was saying, then the brain will just automatically start moving towards more and more positive um, meanings and beliefs and images as well. Yeah. Why are we just starting to hear about this therapy now? Or am I isn't just that, hearing it about it now? No, isn't that incredible? It blows my mind still that like everybody isn't like doing EMDR and knows about even therapists. I mean, going back and not to like bad mouth therapists mm-hmm. who don't practice EMDR. This is just my own personal belief. Like I said, I came into practicing EMDR because it is so effective I thought it would be unethical to not have this option for my client. What's so wild, Ashley, is you know I'm so tapped into like so many like spiritual practices. So I went to Utah in October to work with 30 Wild Mustangs and a woman there told me about EMDR. Mm -hmm. And I go, how have I not heard about this? I've been (laughs) to like Esalen and like spiritual retreats. And so then I start texting all my like highly conscious friends, you know, that are like in the space and run meditations and do all this stuff. And I was like, hey, have you done EMDR? Because I wanted to ask someone I know who's done this because it's, you know, I'm like, is this worth the money? Like, should I do this? And not one person wow. knew. Interesting. And I was like, how the fuck do we not know about this? So right. I was like, we have to, I have to do a podcast on this because so many people don't even know that EMDR exists. Wow. And there's, and it's hard to find an EMDR therapist. I was going to ask, can you do this on Zoom or does, is this an in-person thing? I do mine on Zoom. Oh, okay. Yeah, We had to pivot. I think like everybody else did yeah. during COVID. We had to figure out ways to do it on Zoom. But that's a good question, Lauren, because I was worried because I called the lady because, you know, it's not like it's cheap. I mean, therapy isn't cheap in general, but I was like... I was like, I want to be in person with you because I'm spending this money mm-hmm. and like, you know, looking back and forth and tapping myself. She's like, no, I promise you in the pandemic, we found it just as effective. Mm-hmm. And so I've never met my therapist in person ever. Okay. Yeah. And I actually like doing it at home because you're talking about like sort of really traumatic stuff, I think, or what we think is traumatic. <laughs> what, what I tell people too, in terms of like the knowledge of it and why isn't it out there more, and this does confuse me, but people who are skeptical, skeptical about it is that, know that, you know, the government invests in this, that they, they use EMDR for their military 
personnel who have experienced PTSD, that this is like a sanctioned treatment for the military. Um, so I always kind of say like, well, if the government's investing in it, like, <laughs> you know, for people who are just like, yeah, I don't know, this sounds hokey. I'm like, no, no, like there's a lot of evidence mm-hmm. behind it. So, but now as you were asking before about other examples. Yeah, I, I want to know other people you've treated yeah. and how it's helped. And because I'm, I'm just, I just want to know more about that. Well, I think the range is important that it was originally developed for trauma, um, but it's come to be used for not just trauma, but anxieties and depressions and other mood disorders, OCD, but also performance optimization, athletes, addiction. I've used it for folks who want to stop using weed, Mm -hmm. nicotine, um, people who want to exercise more, you know, that these don't necessarily even go back to a traumatic memory, but we can use the same mechanism to desensitize urges as well. So that's that's where I got into it, where I was like, okay, because how I had heard about it was like, oh, people who are in the army do this or people who have been raped to do this. And so I called the lady and I was like, can I do this for just like my like regular anxiety? And she was like, sure. Cause that's what I thought it was too. I was like, oh, this is just like a big thing. And I love that you brought up performance cause that's sort of like my area. And we do this thing too, Erica, I forgot what it's called. It's called like a future set or future. Uh-huh. What is that called? Yeah, future. So the, so EMDR, we call it the three, three pronged approach. We deal with the past we address the present, and then we prepare for the future. So we do future-oriented sets where you're fo- focused on, and I don't know how you do it now, but sometimes focus on like what you want it to look like in the future. So one time I did it for a red carpet I was really nervous about being live. And so we, we literally lived through the entire experience in my brain so that when I got there the day of, my body had already lived through it fine. Mm. Previous and that's called future something. I don't know how, but I thought that was really cool that it works like in those ways too. I would love that for a flight, a long flight. Okay, so I I hate that I'm going back to this, but I'm still hearing a lot of similarities between um, hypnotherapy in it. So, when do you use hypnotherapy best, and when would you use EMDR best? Right. So I think that for people who are trying to decide on what type of therapy, and again, I'm not an expert in hypnotherapy, so I can't speak to that as well. I hear just from people, from clients, um, friends of mine who've tried hypnotherapy, that a lot of times people go to hypnotherapy because they're like, they want to quit smoking um, or they want to, you know, they want to get over like test anxiety or something like that. Um, I, my knowledge of EMDR seems to be much more broad, like in terms of like the applicability, like Mm -hmm. what you can use EMDR for is much broader. um, And it seems like there's a lot more options for different directions to go with EMDR. That's not saying that there's not a place for hypnotherapy. And again, I don't want to say one's better than the other. Um, But I think that um, you know, also some people go to hypnotherapy and they say like, eh, I tried it, it helped a little, but there's still this stuff that's unresolved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was the- me because I had done hypno, but I, does hypno rewrite the neurological pathways in your brain in the same way? I don't believe so. I don't think it does. That's, I think to me, that's the major difference is like, right. instead of, oh, I have this anxiety, let me go to hypnotherapy. It's, oh, I, the anxiety is less and less every day. <laughs> 
Do you know what I mean? It's like it's not even coming up anymore because those past fears you've sort of rewritten in your brain already. Right. Does that make sense? And the They are the way that, you know, the way that EMDR is practiced, that I practice it, that we might be going to the future, like Naz said, like, okay, let's, let's focus on this red carpet event. And we're going to imagine, or even like I was working with somebody recently who wanted to quit smoking. And so we started with, okay, I want you to imagine where you're going to be, what you're going to be doing, how you're going to look, how you're going to feel once you have met your goal. And then we focus on that. And then we go to the past. I love it. Right. And now we're reprocessing memories. When did you start smoking? What was going on at that time of your life? So we're kind of addressing each of these different, what we would call networks that have created all of the different associations. And then we go through each of the triggers to use or to like urges to like at night, I smoke in the morning, I smoke when I see so-and-so I smoke. And then we go through and we desensitize each of those triggers to want to smoke until we get the urge down to a zero. This is probably the best thing for addiction. Just like also be able to visualize your life being better afterwards is probably enough to make you want to go back and relive what got you in that addiction. Yes. Wow. Yep. I love that. Yeah. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know, I love Skims underwear. So I finally tried their bras and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Um, wait, so did we get to the examples of the people? <laughs> oh, well, that's the, yeah. that was, so that's an example. So I yeah. was recently working with okay, a gentleman. Amazing. Who wanted, who wanted to quit smoking. And we started with how he was going to see himself, where he was going to be, what he was going to be doing. Um, he's going through some very significant medical issues right now. So he was just like, okay, this is it, Erica. Like, I've got to stop smoking. Yeah. Like, this is like the wake up call. I've got to kick this habit. <clears throat> and so we started with just how he'd feel. And he just, you know, through doing the future piece of it, right? Some very positive things came up about like, I'd feel better. I'd feel healthier. But also what came up was, gosh, I'd feel more in control. Like I'm actually sort of a prisoner Mm -hmm. to this. Right. And so some unpleasant feelings came up about it. So then we went with that, like go with, and then we say, go with that. Right. And then we'll check in and say on a scale of zero to 10, how unpleasant is that feeling of not being in control? Right. Well, right now it's like an eight. Okay. Notice that. And then sometimes I'll even ask like, where do you notice that on the inside? Can you feel the unpleasant in your, Oh yeah. We haven't talked about that. Yeah. 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 So then in my sessions, they're like, where did you feel any sensation in your body? And I'm not used to like checking in with my body, but I'm getting better at it. And what's so weird is sometimes when my eyes are closed, I'll feel like my arms tingling 
or like my shins tingling. What does that mean? Yeah. Like, what so is that? I never those, even asked my therapist, but like, what, how come sometimes there's parts of the body that's like, reacting. has sensation? Yeah. So the, there, so it could be one of, to oversimplify it, it could be one of two things. It can be a somatic memory, which means our body is actually remembering something that happened. So sometimes people will say like, oh, I have a headache all of a sudden, or like, man, my left shoulder hurts. And it was actually part of the original experience. Like, oh, somebody put their hand on my shoulder and your body's remembering that sensation. And so then as we're processing, we're not just remembering in our brains, we're remembering in our bodies It's a residual well. haunting of a memory. <laughs> my ghost hunting brain is thinking like... <laughs> So true. That's Do, right. Has Sometimes anyone ever also the body regulating that? Sometimes it's the oh, body it. coming into a calmer state or a more active state. So it's really funny. But my clients, like when I hear that, when if they burp or if I hear their like stomach start to digest, Relax. that's a cue to me that they're moving into a calmer state of yeah. of being because that means sympathetic activation, yeah. the, the, the parasympathetic activation right. of the nervous system, which is that calming energy is coming, which we also call rest and digest. So when there's, right, have you ever gotten a massage and like and you your stomach starts and, like, yeah. yeah, it's because our nervous system is relaxing and the same thing. So sometimes the sensations are just because your nervous system is shifting yeah. while you're processing. Sometimes I let out really big breaths too. Yeah. So yeah. Um, why then if we're nervous, do we feel like we have to poop our pants or to fart or stuff like that? Because that's okay. usually when we're really tense. Right. So, so that, if you think about it, so like we go back to like cave days, like cave women, caveman days, right? So if we're nervous and stressed, we need to be able to run away as fast as possible. So the last thing you want is to be carrying a load around Holy with you moly. in your intestines. That's so fascinating. <laughs> that is so crazy. <laughs> right? Like lighten yourself as much as possible. Go. Exactly. Like you have to run from a tiger. Hurry. Exactly. <laughs> Whoa. Your body starts to shift into gear. It says we don't want to be doing any kind of digesting. We don't want to be doing any kind of reproducing. We need to make sure you're not carrying extra weight. So we eliminate. It's very different so than coming into your own, like in like going through the memories. It's more of like fight or flight sort of situation. Different. Yeah. Yes. So when, when we actually start to calm down, right. And that's part of the other theory of what's happening with the, the bilateral is that we're holding what's called a dual attention. So we're remembering at the same time, we have this tapping going or this eye movement going. So it's like the brain's going like, wait, I'm here. Wait, I'm back there. Wait, I'm here. Wait, I'm back there. And so it starts to bring in this calming effect. So now I can look at that memory and not feel anxious anymore. I can look at it and feel calm because we've paired these two experiences. And then the body goes, oh, I'm safe. I don't have to run away from a saber-toothed tiger so I can digest my food. I can slow down. I can take a deep breath. I can digest and burp a little bit. Makes so much sense. And so the whole body system starts to shift. Nice. Do you yeah, find that, have you ever had a, um, a patient that has like fully completed and you feel like they've reached their journey with EMDR and, or do you think it's like an active ongoing process? Absolutely. Uh, so what I've come to learn, so when I first got trained in EMDR, you know, I, I was taught that you can fully resolve something mm -hmm. like fully a hundred percent. And when we're checking our, we call like checking our work, right. We go and say, okay, 
you're, you were anxious at a 10, now you're at a zero. Then what we do is what's the new positive belief about yourself? Go with that. We do that until that's, you know, we use a different scale. It's a seven is the highest on a positive. So okay. we, we do that until it's a seven. Then what we do is we take the original traumatizing thought, or if it's like an urge to smoke, and we take the new thought with the old memory and we hold them together. We ask the, the client to hold them and then scan their body. And once that's all clear, sometimes stuff will come up though. Like, oh, I'm feeling kind of tense in my throat or something. Then we process that. And so we can clear all that out. Now, what I've decided though, kind of on my own, just from years of practicing is that we can fully complete and, and resolve an issue until we experience something so unique in our lives that we have a whole new perspective on it. And the best way that I can explain that would be, for example, having your own children. Yeah. So if you have, and everybody has like mommy stuff, daddy stuff, like we've all, you know, like as, as we all have stuff to talk about our parents, right? Like it can't be therapy if we're not talking about our parents and our mm-hmm. upbringing. We can fully resolve that to the point that we have the capacity to understand it and to feel it. But then when you go and have your own children, like this whole world opens up inside of you, inside of your mind, inside of your heart. And now you have a perspective as a parent that you never had. And so people might need to go back and revisit some old stuff because maybe it's resolved there, but now it's now as a parent, like, I would never do that for my child, yeah. to my child or with or my you, child. you understand why they did such things. Yeah. Or it might be a positive thing. Yeah. Like, oh, now I have more empathy yeah. and I want to go and reintegrate this. So sometimes things will come up that are so sort of life transformative that people do benefit from going back and revisiting things. So I think a common question people had and that I had was like, how long do I have to, how long can we nip this in the butt for? And so I know the answer, but I'd love for you to answer that for people who are maybe thinking that, or maybe thinking of going to EMDR and they're like, well, how long would I have to do this? Right. So it's different for everybody. Of course, I have had people come in, we call them one and done. I have literally had people come in, especially if they've done therapy in the past and they are well, what we call well-resourced, meaning that they can be stable while they're having strong emotions, that they're going to be able to stay present with me, that they, and I've done single sessions with people coming in with a very specific need. And it's like, done. We took care of that fear of flying and now they're going to go and get on an airplane next week and they're okay. Right. I just want to get through a couple more before we have to let you go. I think, um, can you also explain what the price ranges are and where people can find EMDR therapists? Of course, yeah. So just real quickly, you know, not everybody, and it's, it's I was going to say, it's not common for it to be one and done. It depends on how complex your history is. Uh, it depends on what your goals are. And some people are in it long-term, right? Um, but some people, you know, a few months if they have a very targeted goal that they want to address. Um, but again, it depends on how much trauma there's been in the background, how much safety there's been in your life, um, and whether or not you have any experience, like Naz was saying, like even paying attention to your feelings mm-hmm. or paying attention to your body. Because sometimes people don't have that knowledge or experience. And so we do some work around that. The price range, 
really has more to do with, I think, the experience of the therapist, how long they've been in practice. There are EMDR therapists who might be on your insurance panel, right? And that you can go through insurance. And then there's other EMDR therapists who are out of pocket. Um, And so, you know, we'll see some EMDR. It also depends on your state where you're located, right? So here in South Orange County, right, we see between $200 and $250 for one hour, right? The idea, of course, being that we have a lot of turnover. We don't have a lot of clients long term because for the most part, they're coming in, they're resolving their issues and they're leaving. And that should be um, like enticing almost like it's expensive but it's because you see such a turnover yeah right that you're not going to be doing three four or five years of therapy right and so it's an upfront investment because it moves through more quickly and then there's emdr therapists who are newer if you if that's outside your price range and you know you don't have good insurance or whatever you can't find somebody you know there's interns there are people who are just learning emdr that might be charging like 125 to 175 dollars right um It's important to know that you can always ask a therapist if they have a sliding scale. They might not advertise it, but if you say, hey, do you have a sliding scale? They might be able to work with you, right? And where can you find EMDR therapists? So Psychology Today is a therapist finder that is pretty much the most robust, I would say, therapist finder out there. Most therapists are listed on there. Um, and it's nationwide, and you can filter um, for your geographical area. You can even filter for price range. You can filter for specialization um, in terms of like if it's trauma or anxiety or depression or addiction. I mean, you can also filter for specialty, so you can filter for EMDR. Um, You can also go to EMDRIA, E-M-D-R-I-A, that's the International Association. The most important thing is to ask your EMDR therapist if they went through an approved program, because just like anything, there's a lot of like, oh, like I've had people come to me and they're like, well, I did EMDR before and it didn't really work for me. And I'm like, well, it's like not to say anything bad about who did it, but like, it might not have been the technique. It might've been the person using the technique. So would you be willing to try it with me? Mm-hmm. Um, right. Sometimes people will go to like a two day weekend seminar and think that they're doing EMDR, but it is too intensive, like three or four day training, six months apart. And then during those six months, you're required to go to supervision consultation. Cool. Right. And so it's a pretty extensive training program. And so you can always check with the therapist on that. I think we basically covered everything aside from one more thing that I want to ask you or just for you to tell people about before I ask you to tell people where to find you. And that is, um, I think people will ask, will I instantly feel better after the set? And so can you explain what happens in the sort of following days after an EMDR session? Right. So I'll be curious to hear what your experience was, Naz, but we do have something called the EMDR hangover because your mind and body is processing so much so fast. People have reported feeling like they were hit by a truck, like they're exhausted, um, it's funny though, because I'll tell my clients, I'll say like, okay, I have to kind of give you like the Surgeon General's warning on EMDR. Like you might have more memories, you might have um, unpleasant memories, you might have dreams that are really vivid. If you need to call me between sessions, you can reach out to me. You might feel tired, try to be kind to yourself. And then I also now say, 
or none of that might happen. I was just going to say, none of that happens to me, but my therapist is always like, well, how did you feel the last three days? I was like, fine. But I think it's important to state that so that people know that like, you're not going to like instantly get up out of your chair and be like, oh my God, I'm a new person. That's right. Sometimes it takes your body like and brain days to like catch up with that. And it does take time. The The mind and the body continues to process. But I started telling people or not because people would come in and they'd be like, Erica, I don't know if I did this right. I didn't feel crappy all week. And I'm like, no, no, that's, that's fine good. too. That's, good. that's like good. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. That's good, right? And so, um, so yeah, the mind keeps processing. I've actually known people. I have a, a dear friend, colleague of mine who went to see an EMDR therapist. She, she called me afterwards and was like, I don't know, Erica, it was kind of weird. I didn't notice anything. And then a day later, 24 hours later, she called me and she was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like it took like 24 hours for her brain to kind of start like, right, like gearing up and starting to process a lot of information. So, um, but again, working with a, a trained, you know, therapist that you trust, that you like is really important um, and that you can have these conversations and that you feel like they're accessible if you have any concerns or questions about it along the way. I love it. I feel like we're getting we're gonna have thousands more people doing EMDR like after listening to this. I'm definitely Yay, interested. I hope so. Yeah, that definitely. Makes me so yeah, I'm, happy. I'm, I'm like a Lauren. little scared, but uh, I think I'm gonna try it. <laughs> Lauren, it's literally the greatest. If I could shout anything from the rooftops, it's this, and I I honestly think it would literally help everyone. Should we in life. give a I'm little warning a, like, saying like don't be go tapping or like rapid eye moving on your own? So well, well, that, I love that you brought that up. Oh, yes. Yeah. So in moments where I've had anxiety, what's so cool is I can go in my room and shut the door wherever I am or in my car and close my eyes and tap. Oh, and yeah. it's, um, so the it's recommend, really cool. The recommendation with that is slow tapping as long as you don't feel any unpleasant feelings or have any unpleasant memories. Because when we're doing what I was calling before the resourcing, like in the very beginning before we start all the sets, then we talk about like, what's your pleasant place? What are people that you feel safe around, cared for? Think of them. And then during those sets, the tapping is very slow. We do short sets with slow back and forth. One, two, one, two. When we're reprocessing and we want a lot of material to be stirred up, it's like, the tapping goes a lot faster. So yeah, if you're on your own and you want to think of something pleasant or positive, I will have my clients even, because it's pretty subtle, they can scrunch their toes, right, left, right, left, right, left. So if they're in a meeting and they don't want to be like tapping on their legs or something, that they can just scrunch, 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 scrunch. And they find ah, that they're taking a little bit of a deeper I breath. Love, I love these tips. On on airplanes, I just like tap my I tap my fingers just because my friend said that like counting your fingers is a way to get over your anxiety. But I feel like there's kind of maybe some correlation here, like of just mm-hmm. slowly moving your fingers. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Love it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Erica, you so are amazing. so amazing. Thanks for Thank telling you for all of our me. listeners about it. Where can people find you? So my website is therapywitherica.com and that is E-R-I-C-A, therapywitherica.com. Easy. Perfection. Yes. Thanks, Erica. Thank you so Thanks, much, Erica. Thank Have a great day. Thanks for spreading the good word. Of, of course. course. 
Bye. Bye. If you want to be the most interesting person at the cocktail party, well, hop on over and listen to the Brain Candy Podcast. Our award-winning content will have you laughing while you're learning. We read all the best articles, books, and studies, and keep up with new TV shows, documentaries, and pop culture. And then we cram it all into two shows a week. Conspiracy theories, cannibal rabbits, unsolved mysteries, the history of the Walkman. There's something for everyone. The Brain Candy Podcast. Find our link in the show notes. Or simply search for the Brain Candy Podcast on your podcast app. I don't get it. Podcast.